0: Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family as we continue our family Bible studies in the Gospel of Luke. Today we are in chapter 15 and we're looking at the parable of of the two sons. Let me tell you what I like to do for parents in this broadcast. And any young people listening, that's good too. But for parents, it's really critical as you develop your parenting strategies and and what you choose to instruct your children with, to know what time it is. It's critically important to know what time it is. You know, my mother, when she graduated from college, went to Europe with a few of her friends. Little did they know that a guy named Adolf Hitler was about ready to invade Poland. And just as my mother was leaving on a ship, Germany invaded Poland and World War II began. She was on the very last ship going out of Europe as the war broke out. Unfortunately, it was a German ship. When they crossed the Atlantic and came to New York, New York wouldn't allow them to land because they're afraid the U.S. would seize the ship. So they went around circles out in the Atlantic Ocean for a while. Meanwhile, my grandparents went ballistic, and the ship ended up going to a neutral country in Bermuda, but it wouldn't dock. It simply let my mother and the other passengers off in little boats and ferried them to shore to Bermuda, then they came to Florida and somehow my mother got back home to Wisconsin. All this to say, it really helps to know what time it is. And it was very interesting as I was going through my mother's papers and clippings after she passed away, she didn't leave many behind, but this account was certainly one of them. Now, I wanna say to you parents listening, What if we were about to enter a period of history as significant as the launch of, say, a third world war or something just as serious, maybe not in the external type of conflict, but a spiritual conflict? Would it affect the way you parent? the way you instruct your children. I, I dare say it would. I know my grandparents would have a lot different decisions about my mother traveling to Europe as World War II broke out. Okay, we go to Luke chapter 15. We just saw the parable of the lost sheep, and then there is the parable of the lost coin, and then we find, starting in verse 11, a parable about two sons. And I've probably been guilty of this, and I know a lot of others are as well. Very often we call this the parable of the prodigal son, but the parable begins in verse 11 with Jesus saying, a man had two sons, and the entire chapter or this portion of the chapter regarding this parable is about both sons, not just the prodigal son. Now, let me explain to you how this parable would have hit the listeners in ancient Israel. Imagine you're going down a series of steps, let's say about seven steps, and then you reach a a neutral spot, a flat spot, and then there's seven steps going back up. Well, this is this parable. In other words, the prodigal son uh, breaks with the family, basically, asking for a division of the father's estate while he is still alive. And this is very, what should I say, politically incorrect in ancient Israel. The estate generally was passed on in whole. The elder of the two sons would manage it. The younger son would participate perhaps in the earnings, but he just wanted his share and to take off. That's the first step down. Then we read, he goes into a far country and squanders this wealth that probably been earned over generations on riotous living. So we've, we're going down on the steps. And then, you know, the situation unexpected, but it turns from bad to worse. A famine comes and a famine brings economic shortage. And this young Jewish boy, now we're going down now on these steps, ended up feeding pigs. What could be more embarrassing or debasing than a Jewish man, young man, having to feed pigs in order to survive? So that's getting pretty low to the bottom of our steps down. And then we find in verse 17, he came to himself, he came to his senses. And, you know, a lot of people, if they've been, straying from God, and, and uh, you know, things don't go well, uh, hitting the bottle too much, and they, quote, hit rock bottom, whatever. A, a, a certain event causes kind of an awakening. He came to himself, and that's actually a grace. That's God bestowing grace. Actually, even a famine, as, as difficult as they are those situations cause people to turn to God. And then he begins reimagining his father's household. Now, if you're a rebellious prodigal, and just P.S. your host today was one, so I I know how prodigals think, you know, everything in your father's household is horrible. I'm out of here, Well, now he's starting to have a second thoughts. He's thinking about the same household, but he's looking at it through a different lens. You know, it really wasn't that bad back there. In fact, my father's servants had plenty to eat, and here I'm starving while I'm feeding pigs. And so the whole turnaround occurs. He decided to return to his father. And now we go back up the steps. And remember, ancient listeners had this symmetry in their minds and they loved stories that had, you know, the the descent so to speak and now we're ascending back to the father's house. And he realizes that his place as a son is it, it's gone. He he rejected it basically. He asked for his inheritance and took off so basically, he's seeking restoration, but only restoration as a servant, and that's certainly better than feeding pigs and starving to death, but that's, that's the step up, so to speak. And now while he's a long way off, he's journeying home, the father sees him, and then he does something totally out of character— rather than the father waiting for the son to come back to him, the father goes to the son, and then he does something even more out of character. I mean, the restoration, the father would say, the son comes back and say, I'm sorry. No, while he's still a long way off, this elderly, respectable father starts jogging towards his son. And in ancient Israel, such a man would not be jogging. They didn't sell running shoes back then. Elderly gentlemen didn't jog, and leaving aside all social decorum, he takes off to his son. Now we're going up those steps, and he runs, and he meets him, and he puts on him a robe, a ring, sandals. He's clothed with garments of a restored sonship, and if you want to know the essence of Catholic salvation, you know, in Protestantism, it's fundamentally, and I'm talking about justification, quote, getting saved, it's just getting your sins forgiven. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, That's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing and important, but this young man knew that the Father obviously had forgiven him the way he went and embraced him, but the Essence of salvation, and if you go back to the Council of Trent, which gets to such bad press, if you just look at the summary statement, and you know, coming from Protestantism to Catholicism, I puzzled over that summary statement in Trent about justification because it didn't seem to hit the point. Yeah, there's forgiveness of sins, but the essence of Catholic justification was a restored sonship. We're created to be sons and daughters of God. We're created to be in covenant with him, like a family union with him. And through original sin, that was broken. And through redemption, sonship is restored. So this is really moving up the ladder. He was going to be content to be a servant. And again, God bestowing so much grace, so much unexpected grace, so much undeserved grace, he restores him as a son, and then has a grand banquet. Now, if you keep pressing this a little bit, what is an essence of a restored sonship in this life? It's the summit and center of the Catholic life, enjoying that banquet called the Eucharist with the Father. Now, listen carefully. Again, if um, last time I addressed you, if you happen to be listening, if you were a lost sheep, this week, I'll address you if you happen to be listening, if you're a prodigal son. There isn't anything you have done that can keep you from the Father's love as a result of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. If you come to your senses and say, I want to return to my Father's house, um, you just make the, you know, grace will give you the oomph, so to speak, to make the turn, to to head towards that first step back. But you know what? Uh, Grace will help you go up some of those steps, but really, the bottom line is the Father comes to you. He restores you, and you need to know this. And parents, your children need to know this. Now, I know what you're thinking as a parent, because I'm a parent. I know that you don't want to go near imagining that your children, when they grow up, may seriously stray from the faith. He said, I don't want to go there. But I want to ask you a question. What if they do? What if they do go astray? What if they were raised correctly and still go astray? Now, I'll just Put it out there a little bit. You know, in my neighborhood, we had different plays. And guess who was the minister when I was a little kid? Me. I remember one night, shocked to live in daylights out of my parents. They didn't know what to do. I had been in Sunday school. We were learning about Jesus. And one night, I slowly came down the stairs from my bedroom with a towel wrapped around my head. And I said, mom and dad, I'm Jesus. And my parents didn't know what to make of that. Now, I wasn't trying to be the Antichrist substituting for Jesus. I just wanted to be like Jesus, okay? My parents took me to church, but I went astray. It was my fault. I became a prodigal son. So what I'm saying to you, parents, you need to be aware that your children may stray. Now, if they do, what do they need to know now, before they stray. Because once they're estranged from you, they may not be really inclined to listen to your preaching and teaching, so to speak. So, when they're young, what do you want to expose them to? Well, you want to expose them to Luke 15. And not just sitting in mass and hearing it read, but actually giving them a nice, convenient size Bible with a good translation, like the Revised Standard Version, the Catholic edition, and allowing them to read the parable of the two sons from Luke 15, while they're children. And while they're at it, I gave you this, this scripture last week with the parable of the lost sheep, but in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, even good kids raised a good way may go astray. I did, and what do they need to know beforehand? 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, this saying is sure, worthy of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the foremost of sinners, okay? They need to know that. Let me ask you, have your children ever read St. Paul's epistle to Timothy, his, the first letter to Timothy? Do they know this verse? Have they have they been kind of guided to this verse by you and then coupled this verse in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15 with Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal sons? So just know that. And then specifically how? You know, it's very interesting. John Paul II talked about the confession of sins, the sacrament of reconciliation. It's the act of the prodigal son, who returns to his father. It's an act of honesty and courage. It's an act of entrusting yourself beyond sin to the mercy that God forgives, okay? Your children need to know 1 Timothy 1.15, be exposed and, and allow them to read and digest this while their children, <laughs> before their prodigals, before they take their inheritance and take off from home, okay? And, and give them the way back as Catholics, that sacrament of reconciliation is the prodigal coming back to the father. Now, uh, we need to go to the older son, and this is really important because uh, a lot of people don't get this, and I would dare say the New Testament scholar N.T. Wright and the old Catholic uh, Hadock Bible uh, get the importance of the elder son and uh, here's what N.T. Wright says, quote, it's the older brother who provides a real punchline of the parable. Okay, so what? Uh, what's the point here? Well, the younger son comes back. Obviously, he's undeserving of the banquet and the celebration and restored sonship. And the elder brother comes back from working, serving the father, and we find out that the older brother will not come in. He will not enter the father's banquet. He stays outside the home. He refuses to enter. So the father, again, goes out to him, just like he did with the younger son. But this time, the son says to the father, Lo, I've, I've served you these many years, and I never disobeyed you. And, and this jerk comes back, and look what you've done for him. And then the parable ends. But if you're an astute listener, I'm talking about a listener in the ancient world, you'd have all these steps down, and then you have the turnaround point, the younger son comes to his mind, you have the restoration going back up, but there's a missing step. Because Jesus introduces the parable as a man had two sons, not one, two. And and this would be like sitting through a two-hour adventure movie. You know, you paid admission to a movie theater to see this adventurous movie, and then the final five minutes are cut off. You never see the resolution. That's how this parable ends. And so the question remains, will this older son come in? Now, I just need to mention two things about this older son, and he mentions them. He just says, lo, these, all, these many years I've served you, but it's a servitude service, and he says, I've never disobeyed your command. In other words, it was um, performance-based obedience, and his relationship with the Father was earning his relationship, yet his heart was cold. And who was Jesus talking about? Well, this entire chapter, Luke 15, the parable of lost sheep, parable of ten coins and the parable of the two sons begins with the Pharisees can't begin to comprehend why Jesus would welcome sinners and tax collectors and even eat with them. Why? What's up? Well, the older son was trying to earn a relationship with God, not not serving God through a heart filled with love and gratitude and basically serving out of love and out of a relationship with a father, but out of just a, a position of performance-based obedience. Now, here's where parents can learn what time it is. Remember, I used the illustration of my mom going to Europe and getting the literally the last ship out of Europe as Hitler was invading Poland now you need to know what's going on here because what's the importance is hardly anyone is talking about this even on catholic talk radio this is what we're going to do imagine the camera a close-up shot in this parable first we look at the younger son and then the camera switches to the older son standing outside again, this parable is not resolved. The the ending is dropped off. He's standing outside as it it ends. Okay, now we take our camera from these close-up shots and pull the camera back to the kind of wide panoramic shot of salvation history, and what is this talking about? If I can just say it bluntly, this parable is talking about Gentile pig-feeding converts. What do I mean by that? Sinners, tax collectors for Caesar, idolaters, breakers of God's law, people who blow off the Ten Commandments, prostitutes, okay? These were the Gentile converts flooding into the early church. And meanwhile, there were Jewish converts, but it didn't take too long till that really switched to the Jews. We're standing outside the Father's house. Jesus was the Messiah for Jew and Gentile. The Gentiles were coming back, being restored to the Father through sonship. But outside were the Jews. Are they going to come in? There's a chapter in Paul's letter to the Romans that's critically important for this. Remember, we're trying to zero in on what time it is. In Romans chapter 11, St. Paul gives the definitive answer. Will the elder brothers come into the Father's house through the Messiah? The answer is yes, undeniably yes. They will come in. But this has been a lingering question. And then you might want to know, well, if we want to know what time it is, well, when is this going to happen? Well, you get a really good sense of when from Luke chapter 21, just a little bit further. I don't know if you're aware, but I happen to also host a second radio show called Luke 21, and Luke 21 tells us when, not in the sense of the date setting, which a lot of phony baloney prophecy teachers try to do, but a season, a general season of human history. And this is what we learn from Luke 21. It starts in verse 20. Jesus says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. And he's talking about the surrounding of Jerusalem by the Roman armies and its destruction in 70 AD. That's not hard to figure out few verses later, Luke 21 and verse 24, and this is the only verse that I'm aware of in the entire New Testament that spells this out quite like this. Luke 21 and verse 24, very important verse if you want to know what time it is. They, that's the Jews, will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trodden down by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Folks, on June seventh, 1967, for the first time in history since 70 AD, Jerusalem was no longer trodden down by the Gentiles, but restored to Jewish control. The liberation of Jerusalem occurred in the Six-Day War when Israel was attacked and quite surprisingly fended off the attack. Um, Enemies took positions in Jerusalem. They decided to go after them as well. You can go online and hear, it'll be in Hebrew, hear uh, the actual words and see pictures of the soldiers going into Jerusalem for the first time since 70 A.D. Now, and we will get to a little bit more in this when we get to Luke 21, but there will be a Gentile apostasy coinciding with the regathering of the Jews. In other words, what happens to the Gentiles when their time is fulfilled? And Jerusalem will be trodden down by the Gentiles until their times are fulfilled. Well, there will be a worldwide falling away. At the same time, and I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about the same date. I'm talking about the same general period of human history. There'll be a regathering of the Jews. The Catechism, section 674, says the Messiah's coming is suspended at every moment of history until the recognition by all Israel. And that's footnoted number 569, and it cites Romans 11. Then it says the full inclusion of the Jews in the Messiah's salvation in the wake of the full number of the Gentiles. And that footnote cites Luke 21, verse 24. Now, if you've been a boater, you know the wake is what happens after you pass through something. In the wake of the times of the Gentiles, the Jews will be restored. And what's the next paragraph of the catechism? It speaks of religious deception and apostasy, section 675 of the Catechism, a final trial that will shake the faith of many believers, persecution, and man glorifying himself in the place of God. In other words, mom and dad, we may be at a decisive, a major turning point in human history. So what do you want to share with your kids besides Luke 15 and Luke 21, and sections 674 and 75 of the Catechism. Well, it may not be a good time in human history just to go with the flow. It may not be a good time to justify certain actions by saying, everybody's doing it, it's no big deal. It may not be a good time to be conforming to all the stuff you see on social media. It may be a good time to be countercultural and to begin digesting God's Word, and listen to Psalm 119, verse 105. Thy Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. What will happen during the Gentile apostasy, it would be like, in the words of Dr. James Dobson, somebody took the rheostat of the world's light and has turned it down. This is what happens and a cultural collapse, not just a temporary decay, but an apostasy. And the Word of God is a light to get you through. I'm not trying to advocate reading the Bible for just nice devotional practices. I think that's great, but it's more so to get through the times in which we're living. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 252. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to order copies of Faith and Family broadcasts and to learn more about Catholic family life.